welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Peter Manish Reba, who is Head of Digital Learning at Novo Nordisk. In this episode, we talk about the fundamentals from which Peter builds his practice, including the 5DI model. But before we do, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now let's get into it. Peter, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, now you're based in Denmark and you've been experiencing the easing of lockdown restrictions for a while now. Um, how are you and how would you describe the situation in Denmark? I'm well, thank you. Um, I've escaped the virus so far, um, personally. So, uh, and the family as well, I will. Um, I think in Denmark, um, we locked down pretty early and pretty severe. So everything kind of shut down to let's all be at home. Mm. And, and people in, in Denmark are very compliant. Um, so we did that. But now, um, I, th- I think everyone suffered from that lockdown um, by you know, mentally, by just not being in a situation where everything could be solved, like with family and having kids at home and not seeing your relatives and all that was difficult for people. Obviously, it is all over the world. Mm. But we were, we were quite lucky because of the early lockdown that we kept um, the, the number of hospitalized people um, down mm. to a minimum and uh, the curve flattened out pretty quickly. So they eased up uh, early as well. And we sent the kids back to school, I think, mm. in the beginning of May. And it's been pretty quiet since then, I think now, which is maybe not too reassuring, but it's like business as usual. Mm. People are back to normal in supermarkets. We're, we're standing close again, walking past. And we're back to, into the office as well. And, mm. and all thinking differently. Uh, we know it's there, but we have to be reminded a lot uh, because otherwise we would be completely back to normal. And the only thing that's really strange is not, you know, shaking anyone's hands anymore. Mm. So you meet new and you're, you're standing there like, what am I supposed to do? And <laughs> it, that can be awkward. That takes a while to get used to. But if that's the only thing we have to live with um, to keep this um, to to the level it's supposed to be at, I think that's 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 okay. Yeah, that was a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. That's good to hear. And I think heartening for a, for a lot of people who uh, fear they're not out of the woods yet. And there'll be many listeners uh, around the world who, uh, who feel yeah. that. Um, and what are the expectations then on you and your team um, now restrictions are easing? Um, that's been interesting because during COVID, um, and I'll, um, I might not be answering the question, but I'll try. Um, COVID was interesting because when the prime minister here locked down country, um, I talked to the management group on the phone and we were like, should we push the button? We've been working with uh, introducing an LXP, mm-hmm. um, piloting that, and we were like, should we push the button and make the pilot available to everyone? Because now everyone has to stay from, you know, work from home, different situation. Um, is this now where we make virtual training available to all the people who had trainings canceled and uh, to all the people not having access to this stuff and not being able to travel anywhere? Um, globally. Mm-hmm. And we did. Um, in a matter of eight days, that was up and running for the whole company of 43,000 people. So my team has been working like 
crazy. <laughs> it's been so insane since that happened uh, up until now. Um, so I think expectations just lifted there. Mm. Um, but that curve is also flattening out now because we've chosen an infrastructure and a solution that is quite self-explanatory and self-service based, and it's just working. Um, so it, it's been a, and this is maybe a terrible thing to say, but COVID um, was a good thing for digital learning in Nordisk. Mm. Um, and the um, uh, circumstances made it easier for us to get a voice in the organization and to show what we can do with what we uh, what we know and, and, and have on the shelves. So that, that the expectations to my team and the way we are working is different. Um, we're a lot more in the spotlight now, mm. um, but we're also, um, we had a we had a celebration last night because of what we've gone over the last three months. It's been quite remarkable what what happened to um, to the way we work with digital learning over the last uh, three months. Oh, that's wonderful. And um, what what about from stakeholders and the expectation of the things that you'll be working on? Can you lift the lid at all on um, what the priorities have um, uh, have been communicated to you, either explicitly or implicitly, um, from stakeholders about what um, what L and D should be focusing on, and has that changed post COVID? Um, <laughs> yes, in a few dimensions it has, but it's still the same things they're asking for. I think mm. um, we have to, you know, because we can't travel, and in Nordisk we have shut down the whole year, saying no traveling in 2020 unless it's business critical. Uh, so that means the trainings they're not business critical most of the time. Mm. Um, so that, means that we have to stay at home and do it virtually instead. Um, which is obviously a huge difference from delivering face-to-face -face training and then now going virtual on that, you know, I know that's a different ballgame. So I think they're asking for a lot of guidance and they're asking for digitalizing face-to-face -face stuff right now. That's, that's, really, um, that's really key for the organization and the stakeholders. But mm. other than that, um, I, we were already on this journey of making learning and training available to everyone in Novo Nordisk, and that's what we've done now. So I think we've mitigated some of that need um, by making it available to everyone, mm. by having something saying, guys, it's actually here. You can use it. It's available for everyone. You can just go and, 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 and find what you need uh, has, been, has been good uh, to cover some of those needs. And I think we've been in a good situations, uh, situation regarding that. Maybe, maybe in a better situation than other companies um, because we've done the pre-work with the pilot and all that, it was already set up. Mm. And, but other than that, David, they're asking for the same things. Mm. And um, I had a conversation this morning with, with a colleague and I get in my inbox, I mean, 95% of the questions I get as head of digital learning is how can we limit, how can we control, how can we check if someone took the training? How can we make sure it's only these people who see this content? And how do we, you know, make sure that we can tick, tick the box? It's 95% of the questions I get. But my work is not a tick the box exercise. No. It's about people development. It's yeah. about learning. It's about conversations, communities, all that stuff. That's maybe 5% of the emails and requests and conversations I have with the stakeholders. Mm. So we huge task of um <laughs> how do you say that best educating our stakeholders um because obviously they come from a different place not not um 
not really fully understanding what it is that we can do um, mm. and what we do with people development. Um, so I think the questions are the same, but the circumstances are different. Mm. I'd love to explore that. that. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, it, re it really does resonate. There's something in there about um, uh, learning and development operates within the confines of the expectations of, of our stakeholders a lot of the time. Now, we know as, as professionals um, that we should expect more from ourselves. And as you said there, there's, there's an opportunity to educate our stakeholders as well about, about the potential. Um, but so many are, are bound by, um, by those limited expectations of stakeholders. When you add in another layer of compliance as well, with uh, heavily regulated uh, L and D, what do you think our role? Do you, do you think that we expect too much of our role in L and D, or do you think that we are on in um, an inevitable curve towards greater impact? Perhaps you know the other side of that. Do you think we are in this yeah. this perpetual um, underestimation and expectation of uh, of our impact? Um, I've been thinking a lot about that, that lately, actually, and I, I don't have the answer, um, but I think I can try to share some thoughts around it anyway. I think in L&D, and especially in my job, uh, it's so important to um, divide the conversation and say we, we have different tracks here. Because honestly, down <laughs> when it comes to the, down to everything, I don't believe that compliance and training is part of my job. Mm. And um, so um, it probably should be, and but not in the way that we think these things. So if you just want to pour information into someone's head once a year, a yearly event, and then tick the box and say, well, that has nothing to do with learning and training in my book. Mm. What I do is people development. What I do is changing behavior or I'm, I'm trying to do that through experiences and with resources and and it's just a different conversation um, so i think we should be really crisp on what is it actually that we do and that we can help the, the stakeholders and the organization with and what we believe in mm. and then no to those requests and conversations that are about compliance uh, tick the box uh, exercises where we still do the same old thing that we know is not working it has nothing to do with learning and training. We might as well just send an email to people listing up the, the stuff that we are expecting them to remember. Don't spend time on making training and e-learning for that. It, it doesn't work anyway. So I think for me, it's so important with that message to the organization saying, guys, we're not doing that anymore. Mm. It's not my ballgame. It's not my court. It's not my street. We're, we're pivoting this completely to a different conversation where we're actually taking people development serious. And if you want retention, and if you want someone to remember something, you, you have to emotionally impact them. Mm. And I think when, when you ask about the impact uh, that we can make in the organization, is that going to be bigger or how is that going to look in the future? We've already seen that with the things that we've done over the last three, three to six months. Yeah. When we put out resources. We start out with a design thinking approach, ask the customer, what's your challenges? What are your concerns? What's uh, the problem that we're trying to solve here? Mm. And we meet that immediate need with easy and, and understandable resources, short videos, short checklists, PDFs, stuff like that, that you know uh, addresses these challenges. 
And we do experience stuff when people don't care. That is making an, an impact. That is making an impact. And the next step for us will then um, be proving it uh, through data, obviously, which is a little bit of a of a of a hard not um, not to crack. But, um, but we're we're taking a swing at it now. Um, so I think if we if we have the right conversations and do the right things, um, and not um, not let us let, let the hand be forced by um, by the the stakeholder expectations to what they're you know going to get up front. I think will will we'll have a great impact. Um, so those were the thoughts around that. Not sure it all makes made sense, but I <laughs> I hope that uh, that it did in some way at least. Now what you've described, uh, Peter, and you've mentioned earlier about about having a different type of conversation, and I know that from our previous conversation that you used the 5DI model, Nick Shuckter Jones's 5DI model. Um, which of course is a very different type of uh, of um, not just conversation but engagement with uh, with your client. Would you mind um, describing uh, how this works for you? But perhaps take a step back and and just describe to us uh, briefly what it actually is. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, any listeners can Google this very easily, and they'll find videos with Nick, and they'll find resources online where they can look into what the what the model uh, entails. But I think. High level for us, um, it, it makes the first uh, contact with any stakeholder really, really interesting. Because what you ask that stakeholder um, when they come up with all the ideas and how the product's going to be, and you know they just want an e-learning or they just want a training or whatnot, you ask them, what do you want the people to think, feel, and do on the other side of what, what you want to you know, achieve? And having them uh, in a room with a whiteboard uh, trying to articulate these things is an epiphany for stakeholders. Mm. Uh, that's where the first ball drops and, you, and you're like, oh, okay, so let's backtrack. When you want them to feel this, do this, and think this, what are the things that we need to do to make sure that happens on the other side of what we're doing? And that ends up in, in, in often in a blended, very, very um, um, uh, blended approach with a, with a lot of different resources and experiences in a mix that you do. You either take people on a, on a journey or uh, recurrent things or whatever. You, you, it, it, the mix looks totally different mm. from what they sit into that room um, with, uh, you know, with what they had in mind. So I think just by doing that, uh, is interesting and then what you do is you go out and you actually talk to people and i think we have a tendency in learning and development now you've got me all fired up <laughs> i think we have to be in hr and lnd to sit around in our ivory towers not getting out there it's uncomfortable for us there's friction is somewhere in leaving our chairs in the office um, and actually going out talking to people. I see this a lot. When I ask people to, you know, book an interview with someone, it's like, yeah, but then I, I, I do it. Who do I, can, I, I need to get something in the calendar and what about microphone and what I do with editing and I'm, so all these things are usually not something that L&D people, a lot that I know, are, are capable of doing uh, down to low practical stuff like this, uh, like recording a podcast or just doing an interview on Teams and recording that and putting that out afterwards. But we have a tendency to over-engineer 
Uh, and that's why we think that may be too difficult and too big a step. Can't we just do what we, you know, just, can I just make this because I'm a learning specialist and just going out there uncomfortably, <laughs> mm. you know, it's, it's, it's new waters for you and, and asking people a lot of questions, um, is, is the first step. Cause if you don't know what people care about, then you don't know what the solution is. You will never know you, the, the chance of you hitting the spot is, you know, it's next to nothing. Yeah. So if we don't do that, then we're, we're getting nowhere. Um, so that's the first thing is to discover what is it that's actually causing the problem. It might not be learning. Um, go look at some of, of Kathy Moore's stuff and, and, and see that, you, you know, it might not be learning and training which fixes all this. And that's all right, because then you can drag other people into that process and mix it all up. Um, but just doing that discovery is so underrated and, and we didn't do it before, um, in, in a very structured way. We have brilliant people uh, in the team, but I think what we've achieved over the last year by introducing the 5DI is to get an, um, a lot more user centered, uh, approach. Uh, and uh, the organization is responding really positively to actually being listened to mm. and, and and also that we try to shape the solutions around um, the performance issues and the stuff that they highlight is important. Let's take an onboarding for one, saying, "No, I'm probably the, pro the first thing I want to see when I when I come into the office or pre-boarded or whatever is probably not eight hours of information uh, about Novo Nordisk. It's probably not the most important thing. The most important thing is probably uh, how do I get my computer to work? If it doesn't work, where's the IT support? Can I find the printer somewhere if I need to print something? Where's the coffee machine? Who are my new colleagues? What do I do when I need to book a meeting room? And all that stuff is much more important and key for people starting in the Nordisk. So that's what we're trying to do. Mm. We're listening, discovering where the pain points, what's the challenges, what do they care about? And then we cater to that need. And Nick and his team and, and previously has been doing that for years. Yeah. And, and I think the obstacle uh, in our ivory tower or the ivory towers that I've been part of, and I've also been um, in that situation where I didn't realize that this was important because I was the specialist. I could, I could handle this. I could do this. I could find the silver bullet. And, um, but, but I can see now that uh, there are people and it's, it's, it's shifting, but there are people in L and D in companies and all sorts of other places who has that uh, thing where they just do it. Mm. One of them is, is Charlie Neen. I really love that guy because yeah. anything you throw at him is like, I'll just go and do it. I'll ask them, I'll do this, that, that I'll crunch it. And then there's the other side of the, the, the table where you have people who like to strategize and make PowerPoints and make solutions on their own do long processes, um, asking senior stakeholders as proxies. And one of the very wise things uh, that um, Charlie has taught me um, is that uh, is that Winston Churchill quote, I think it is, it might be wrong, it might not be Churchill, but I'll say it anyway. You can Google it and, and fact check <laughs> me afterwards. But, um, very few plans rarely survive, uh, you know, uh, meeting the, en the enemy. Um, mm. And it's just so stupid to have spent three months or six weeks talking to senior stakeholders about what they would like and then making something 
producing it, putting it out there, and nobody uses it, and everybody hates it, and it yeah. doesn't work. It's a monumental waste of time just because you are a little bit scared of going out there, facing the enemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> asking questions, looking at the battlefield, looking at the weapons, finding out what's working, what's not, and being able to be flexible because you need to. People change all the time. So there's so many, there's so many good things in that process, in that 5DI process that meets reality in a lot better um, shape than what we used to do it. Yeah. So much great advice and, uh, and rich experience within, uh, within there, uh, Peter. And just a couple of points I'd like to, uh, to, to pull out. I think it's really important to recognize that a model like the 5DI is, is relevant and in response to a very different time when the learning needs analysis was the, um, uh, the, the key tool that we would use. Now, we've got to remember that the learning needs analysis was a resource allocation exercise when our solutions were expensive, heavy, and time-consuming to develop. What we're talking about here is instead of it being resource, allocating resources um, that, were, that were scarce, you're talking about being laser-focused on solving the real problems that people experience. And just to add in here as well, so many learning and development professionals are chasing engagement for justification of their investment in platforms and content, and even in face-to-face, that, that they don't even look beyond engagement towards the performance and results they can affect. But what you're talking about here is an initial conversation with a stakeholder to expand their expectations of the value that you and your team can deliver beyond the delivery of a program. Now, there's a word I like to pick up. When you're delivering <laughs> stuff, you're like a postman. You don't, it doesn't really matter what happens the other side of the letterbox. It is simply delivered and therefore your job is done. But we're talking about something which has, a, which has greater impacts. And of course, a lot of people will be scared because when a senior stakeholder says, Peter, I would like you to deliver X, for them to consider being in your shoes and saying, well, can we talk about what you want people to think, feel and do differently? Seems scary, especially when the, the solution yeah. may not be the delivery of said content or programs. Does, that, does any of that resonate? Yes, absolutely. You're spot on. Um, and I think that, that, that's, that is scary and it's interesting. But using proxies uh, is just, I mean, I've, I've discovered that so often. They come in um, and they're senior and they should know what goes on in their area. I hear it all the time. We've done this interview process over the next, last six months and this is what, needs, what we need to do and change. And I'm like, yeah, but what's going on right now with the people who's going to act differently? And, and, and we're not talking about, I mean, and this is obviously going to raise some eyebrows out there. And I think that discussion in the echo chamber is, is really going on as well. Like the shift from learning objectives to performance outcomes. Yes. Let's talk about what people should do differently and how we measure whether they do it differently and what the impact is. Mm. That is the conversation we need to have. And, you know, thinking about how other jobs are measured, I think we are in an interesting spot in LND when you say we're, we're satisfied with just delivering something. What if someone in the production area or someone in marketing and sales were just satisfied with delivering something? I mean, that's mm-hmm. never the end point. The end point is that someone consumes or that someone does something with the product that they make. And 
that just doesn't come so easily, especially with our solutions. Um, there's a good chance uh, with the communication and the, the text and the copywriting and the videos, and, you know, that we'll do something wrong, that we won't hit that spot. Mm. So we have to be able to change that really quickly. So when we send out a checklist, uh, that has to be validated in some way by user testing it and finding out what's working. And, and we might have done that in the 5DI, we do that, but we might have done that with, with some users and what, whatever we have resources for. But when it comes out there and, and hits the audience of maybe 5,000 people, the feedback might be, guys, this is not working. And we've done all the testing, but then we have to be able just to really quickly just add or edit something and put it out there again and, and do that iteration continuously because it's never really done. And then when it's out there, measure whether we get the performance outcomes that we set out to, to get. Mm. And that's, that's yeah. so important that you are talking about, if, that you are measuring what was determined in that initial conversation about what people will be thinking, feeling or doing differently. And of course, we are talking about corporate learning. We're talking about workplace learning and development, not an academic exercise. The fact that learning and development yeah. looks like school in a lot of organizations is not to confuse the two. <sighs> Um, it's not the acquisition of said knowledge in order to pass a test that compliance kind of skews learning and development to look like sometimes, but it is for the end benefit of an organization to keep its people, to, to develop its people so that they are doing something better and faster today and preparing for the roles that are critical for them to perform and get results from day one when they are when they enter that new role. I always say that the biggest opportunity you have in your organization is as people are expected to adapt, guide and support them and be there. And a lot of learning and development look and think, well, uh, you can't be there. And what about people who are established in their roles? You kind of almost like say, stop changing the conversation. Forget about the people yeah. who are established in their roles right now. To think that you can change their mind without actually solving the big problems of, of transitions is foolhardy at the moment. And I don't care what yeah. wizardry you use in the classroom. Uh, but but if, you've got, <laughs> if you've got people who are expected to adapt and you are not helping them, then it's almost as if you you have you don't have the credibility or the currency to make anything really work in your organization. Hence, you go back to the delivery and engagement in your stuff seems to be enough. And anyway, your ex your stakeholders aren't expecting much more than that. Uh, then it's down to personal pride and whether you are you you recognize the value yeah. of your position in the organization and are willing to go out on a limb and have different conversations and do different stuff. And that's the sad thing sometimes, right? Because when you have that conversation with the stakeholder and everyone is satisfied at a level where we don't do what you just described, mm. it's so bad because, I mean, what does, why? Mm. Um, we should take pride in what we do. And I think a lot of LD people do and wants to do the right thing. But if everyone in a meeting room can settle for, yeah, let's just do this. And then we've ticked that box and we've done this and it's there and they can just go out and like, it does not end there. Um, so, but that's that's uh, a lot of history and a lot of, of baggage in that uh, trunk <laughs> um, <laughs> that we have to deal with because this is the way things have been been running in, in corporate learning in a lot of places for a very long time. Mm. Um, and and, and I'd hold my hand up. I'd hold my hand up, Peter, and say, look, I'd done that. 
Um, I spent I 10 years it. in classrooms. I launched uh, platforms full of content. Uh, I then, yep. because of because I didn't get the engagement, I used to say, you know, say things like how people don't know how to learn, <laughs> which is bananas. They just they were just either <laughs> resisted or ignored what I was putting out there because it wasn't actually solving real problems. And I'd like to take you back to a to a point because you recently shared an example of some e-learning that mm-hmm. you previously developed in Articulate Storyline, if I remember correctly. And your yep. post described how you were very proud of what you did, but. If, yeah. Interestingly, and I, I, I wanted to bring this up, not to shame you, Peter, but because I think that this is an this no. is where a lot of people are, because the reflections that you shared on your post were powerful and incredibly relevant. Could you give us a summary of what it was and, and why you posted it? Yeah, uh, well, I used to make e-learning uh, from scratch, right? So I used Articulate Storyline as an authoring tool to to do these things. And I, th- I mean, I'm I'm an ambitious guy. So I, I thought that I was doing the right thing by tweaking Articulate to its, you know, maximum making triggers and variables and getting things, you know, in the right order and make it memorable and all that stuff. Um, so we really tweaked the machine and I thought I was doing the right thing. Mm. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it was a machine. It was, and there was a lot more. The example I shared on LinkedIn is just one out of many. Uh, examples that I could pull out the drawer of skeletons or the closet of skeletons <laughs> that should never have seen the day of light. Because what I didn't do was use a test it. Mm. What I do was validate, am I actually solving anything? Is this a problem? I just did project management training and leadership stuff and all that. And we took it into topics and we thought this was important. This And then just out to the people. And it did not work. Mm. It did not work. So I found out, I learned something, and there's a lot of brilliant people in the industry who, who teaches me stuff all the time. Um, but I learned that I was actually doing that for myself. Mm. And I'm just going to take a little bit of a, a moment of silence just to take that in again. It's a little bit embarrassing, actually, but it, I think it's very human and it's very normal. I made the mistake of taking pride in this for my own benefit. It was like, look, here's something, look at what I've done. Isn't this cool? And I found out that the people around me were like, yeah, but um, I don't really get it. And what, why is this? And is this solving? Is it part of and how? And, and it's like all these questions coming in. Um, and I got a little bit upset about like, don't you understand where it's so great? And it's, it's really going to teach and it, it, it was just stupid. So one day, and this is a continuous uh, story or a continuation of that story is one day, um, the, the managing director took us into a room and said, let's test it. Um, you have a couple of days now to make an e-learning here and you do a video and then you do it, you know, something else in three different formats. And then you take some users in here and then they test it out. And we did this, we, we had done the e-learning previously because that's a big thing. It takes a lot of time to make these things. So we took that and then we made a short video and we, we took just a, a, a piece of text and gave that to people and say, what do you think? I mean, what's the, what's the format you prefer this? And, 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 you know, and every single one of them discarded the e-learning completely. And I, I, I remember going home that day saying, why am I spending my life and all this time on making these beautiful graphics and, you know, things flying in and then programming this programming is probably a big word when you talk about articulate, but at least putting things together, um, 
for people who really don't want this and they mm. there there's value in that so that was um a personal development for me was thinking i'm actually actually because actually deep down i care about if i help people mm -hmm. i did not help people with that stuff it did not make a difference and i was embarrassed that i had um you know at the end of the day when you go home uh, from work david do you want the salary that you earned for the day or the salary that you have negotiated. Mm. What salary are you taking home when you go out the door? I took the salary that I had negotiated because I did not provide the value. I had not earned anything because I did not provide the value for any people. I didn't help people with what I did. So that was a big turnaround for me saying, stop making e-learning. It does not work. Mm. Uh, and obviously that is a generalization. There might be pockets where e-learning can be effective. I don't know. I haven't done the research. I can't, I can't tell you completely because I'll never get that overview and I won't be arrogant enough to think that I know. I just haven't come across a piece of e-learning as we know it, uh, as a, a, you know, a, a presentation with audio and video and click and buttons and all that stuff in that form and that shape. I haven't come across one piece of effective e-learning that made a difference for people on the other side, and especially not the stuff that I've done. So it's not something I'm proud of, but it was part of my learning journey and it was part of developing uh, to the place that I am today um, in a different place, um, a lot more user-centric, but it did, it did take that to, to get there. And I think a lot of people in the, there's, there's a huge crowd in the learning space who are um, really, really like still like to do these things mm. and are really promoting this as the way to go for training i won't be arrogant enough to say that they're wrong it's just not the way that i want to take it because i've not seen the value of it so i don't know how you feel about it but but that that was why i did it uh, well peter um no i think it's a it's a very difficult thing for for a lot of people to hear uh, and for those um listeners who haven't switched off in anger uh, at hearing what you just said. <laughs> I'm <laughs> no, sorry. I will, I will largely agree with you. I think that when you look at one side of e-learning, though, and you look at simulation um, and you see uh, how pilots are trained, but you th I mean, that's one extreme end. And you look and think, like, on a, um, uh, on a level that people can feel the, uh, the impact of what they are doing, there is real there's real validation i think what you're talking about is what i've seen exactly. many times the other side of that and i can't think of a time when people haven't shown me um a piece of e-learning that they're really proud of that i haven't mm. sat there squirming in my seat thinking what have you done <laughs> as they take me through and go so you've got these three options and if you go through here and as soon as somebody gives me a reveal box or uh, or some drag and oh, drop man. and then they say because you've got to engage the learner I just think this is this is all about you, you know. Because yes. what you've just described on you know with the, the alternative, which is give people something useful, it's a handful of text. It is a screen recording that shows them exactly what they need to do. You know, it's, it's what Nick talks about, Nick Shackleton Jones, when he says mm. that when people care, give them a resource, and it can be yes. quick and dirty. You've just, you've mentioned checklists many times on here because sometimes when mm -hmm. people care. 
and they recognize that the solution that you've made available reflects the situation, the unfamiliar situation and the challenge that they experience in the, in the, the course of their work, then they'll go. I mean, that we, I mean, engagement is the least of your worries. And you're looking past engagement, as I said earlier, and wondering to what extent have we affected performance and results in a way that we can, uh, we can measure, that we can take back to that initial discussion and say, people thought, felt, and did something different as a result of what we've done. We can do more of that, less of that. No one's engaging in that stuff. And let's see whether we make a more of a, uh, more of a difference here. But it's, it's a very difficult message for learning and development to hear. And I wonder whether it comes from the genesis of our profession, because there was a time when bringing people together to deliver a hell of a lot of content, have them practice in a way that didn't really reflect real life, but hey, look, it served a lot of purposes and made a lot of the experience kind of real, um, and then sent them on their way. That was the best way that we could do things. Unfortunately, yeah. Google came along and access to real experts who haven't just read a book and pulled together a set of topics, but but people <laughs> really know this stuff. And then we realize, oh, wait a minute, there's there's potential in this online stuff. But, you know, we, we give people what it is that they actually want. Unfortunately, and I think that, well, I say unfortunately um, for, let's have a think, workers, not for learning and development, because this is still the biggest opportunity available to us right now. Google, other website, uh, um, search engines are available, have nothing on how to get the right stuff done in your organization. They, have, they can't help you. And yeah. again, fortunately for learning and development, unfortunately for, for workers, the biggest, the, the unfamiliar situations and challenges people face are more often cultural than they are technical, which is how to get the right stuff done, how to get support for your ideas, how to present in a way that is acceptable, how to understand the customers and clients and stakeholders here so that we can influence them and get the right stuff done. Now, there, there is nothing out there uh, on um, publicly available on the web that's going to help with that. But if learning and development still think their role is providing content remiss of context that's going to have a significant impact on the way the work is done, then I think that, that we've missed the big opportunity. I don't know whether that, again, reflects your situation and, and what you picked up from, from working with 5DI. Absolutely. You're spot on again. Um, I think we're becoming a little uh, small echo, echo chamber <laughs> as well. Again, for the one or two I people actually, that we left listening to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and if they're there, if people are still here, or switch back because uh, you took over. I, I, um, I, I, I fully agree. And going back to um, the way when I talk about e-learning, I talk about that stuff that you just yeah. mentioned, that drag and drop, that click next, that all stuff, you know, but people are still doing that yeah. uh, for simulation and embodiment and, and all that sorts of stuff. It's a beautiful thing and it really works. And there's a lot of research to back that up. But in my world, that's a totally different ball game. Yeah. Um, I used to do simulations and uh, metaphors and stuff on procurement program training. So teaching people how to use the procurement software uh, was gamified into moving <laughs> things around and going, and it was so horrible. Yeah. And, and uh, we spent so long on, on doing these things when all we should have done was one, challenge the company who uh, gave us the software by, you know, you don't need an e-learning to, you know, to um, use your iPhone. So why do you need an e-learning to use the procurement systems? Like go, go fix your UX and UI first, mm -hmm. right? And then obviously we should have just made quick recordings, asked people what they have difficulties uh, with, test it out and, and make sure that people could perform um, with what they had available. 
And we did not focus on that. I did not focus on that. I focused on what I could provide of experience-based, nice-looking, well-done e-learning that would really impress people. But it was for my own trophy cabinet. It was not to help people. And that has to stop, Mm. basically. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but thinking more of uh, uh, of of now and the uh, and the future, uh, Peter, where are you focusing your own development right now? What are you seeing coming around the corner that you want to be prepared for? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah. So, do you mean like personally for me, or in my profession, or <laughs> yeah, profession, le- learning and development? Yeah. Wait, what do you What do you yeah. think is perhaps a um, that you, you're thinking um, uh, inevitably that is coming? Uh, and you want to be uh, prepared and perhaps even bring your team with you. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to take us a little bit, I'm going to share a little bit of history and what we've done and where we're going, because um, I think that will frame it up pretty pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the last year we've spent on creating the foundation uh, and for the very... Um, um, modern and advanced learning professionals may be listening to this. This will sound a little bit uh, foolish. What we've done over the past year is make content available to everyone in the world so that they can find it wherever they are on the planet. And that's been so rewarding because, and, and this is this is content libraries. That's basically, and, and content uh, within generic categories of training, everything you can think of internally and also external sources just feeding into to, to that um, one place of entry. And you and I know that's not going to fix anything because making content available is not going to fix anything. Uh, But it's been a huge thing for a lot of developing countries and people sitting around globally in places where they didn't have stuff available. That's been made available to everyone. So that was the first level of what we wanted to do. Make sure that it was available, that the library is open. But that doesn't mean that people just go in take the books off the shelves, start reading and, and do what's relevant for them. So the next two steps that we're taking and also, um, yeah, the next two monumental things that we will do is we'll add uh, marketing and we'll add data to what we're doing. And that's gonna, that sounds a little bit buzzwordy. I know, I'm to, um, to explain that in a little bit uh, further detail. Um, thing is, if we don't know, as we've just covered in, in our conversation, if we don't know what people care about, what they're concerned about, how would we know what to cater with with the stuff that we do mm-hmm. uh, for, right? So so we, we need to do the right things for the right people at the right time in the right place. Um, and for that, we need to listen to the organization. We have 43,000 people, so we can't listen to everyone at once. Mm. That's impossible. And we can't, with the resources in the team, go out and ask people all the time because we'll never be current, we'll never be up to date, we will never meet reality because reality changes and shifts all the time. So how do we do that? Luckily, fortunately, there are people who's much smarter uh, than me out there who can do something called sentiment analysis. So you go and you listen to channels uh, where people have conversations, obviously anonymized. People get a little bit scared when I talk about this, but it is fully anonymized. So we're not looking into what people are talking about uh, specifically. We look, we're looking to spot trends in the communication between people in the organization to see what are people talking positively about? What are people talking negatively about? What's hot right now? And, and in which regions? And where do we see spikes and all that? That data 
is something that we have to make available for us. So when we get in in the morning in the learning team globally, so that the morning is in different places <laughs> and different times of the day, but that's what it is. We get to work, we gather up, huddle up in, in, in the stand up in the morning, and we say, all right, what what's top of mind of the organization today and what do we need, to, where can we make a difference? Um, that's the one step that we, that, the, that foundation is something we want to build. Mm. And you would think in a big corporate that, you know, that data is just easily available or that data is just tapping into, it's already being done, but it's not. We have people analytics, but they're busy with a thousand different other things. So we have to do this on our own um, and someone has to do it. So we're doing it. Uh, the next step for us is to, when we then get in the morning, do that, you know, have that conversation about what's most important for us to do right now. It's kind of like the triage thing that Laurie Niles is talking about. Mm. When we have that information, um, how do we get that to people in a busy workday? You know, if we want to be a little bit predictive and a little bit, you know, it would be so cool as LND to come into someone, um, some kind of the organization and say, uh, some part of the organization saying, guys, We've listened. You probably don't know this already, but this will help you with your challenges right now. Or, you know, we know we are facing this. Could this be a solution for you um, within the learning space, obviously? How can we help? Um, and when we do that, and there's a huge um, um, challenge in getting the message across to people. Because communication, uh, although very helpful and very brilliant skilled people in organizations are more often ring fencing a little bit uh, because there's so many things happening in the organization and if everyone communicates at the same time to everyone it, it gets you know noisy and people stop listening hmm. so you need smart ways of targeting the right people with the right things and that's why we need the marketing piece hmm. we need someone who is tired of the pointless um, <laughs> job they have uh, with marketing products that are then being consumed and then doing that all over again. People who want to work with people development and help people, but have that marketing touch where they know how do we get this front and center for the people who need it to improve their performance. Because just putting it out there available historically doesn't work. It's not enough. We need to be, we need to, you know, budge ourselves into that um, um, every, everyday life of an employee saying, listen, this is important. Please prioritize this. This will help you. Um, it's, it's not just enough that it's there. Um, so we need both faces. So for us, um, while moving to the 5DI and creating a lot more resources and quick and dirty solutions, MVPs, that's what we call it, the next level for us will be basing it on data, the foundation, so we hit the right spots, and then getting the, the space in between the, the busy work schedule of the employees who really need um, our, our help for the right performance outcomes. And I think what you just described there is, uh, is a great deal of where L&D is going. Uh, you've talked about um, uh, user insight, um, uh, informing design and your solutions with user insights, so that you uh, so that you are understanding the um, what people are experiencing. I like what you described there, like what's going well as well as what's not. So you see both sides of the coin. So it's not just about uh, about fixing problems, but you're looking at things more holistically. I love the way that Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in talking to strangers. Yeah. He said that if you want to understand a stranger's world, uh, sorry, if you need to understand a stranger, you need to understand their world. Um, so so user insights is certainly a way, but. 
Uh, what you described there with the marketing emphasis is what we've been doing in Loop, focusing on um, uh, providing people, designing campaigns so that you can get to people where they are, integrated in the tools they use for work, but it's the last bastion of learning and development as far as I'm concerned. It's when they need it. And too often what we've done is we've got these flagship programs that people can attend weeks or months after they face the initial challenge or otherwise you say or you could just go to our generic content and again i mean what you're doing is just batting people away and you're framing it as self-directed learning but really you haven't got a solution to help them uh, but they can go and, and mine this stuff and help themselves but but if learning and development can seek to understand what it is that people are trying to do get to them when it's needed have campaigns that that don't just take people on a bit of a journey from the beginning of a thing to the end of a thing but can also do uh, have your algorithms to understand what it is that people actually need next where are they going to begin another campaign based on their 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 challenges and their interests uh, and then automate that stuff uh, and what learning and development don't recognize a lot of the time is that that there is tech out there that totally automates that journey, getting the right stuff to people at the right time, and then getting the mm-hmm. user insights to inform your iteration stage as well. Uh, and I think that that the longer that we uh, we have low expectations on what tech does, which is platforms of content that that can be used when required, to understanding what the problems are that people really face and seeking to affect performance and results is where we're at. It's not even the future. It is where we are at. Yeah. And then we can be looking in, back in five or 10 years and, and looking at not just looking at the journey that digital marketing has made in that period, but look at the journey that we've made in L&D and say, now we, yeah. we know what we're working on and we're giving people what it is that they actually need. Uh, and Peter, you're uh, you're fairly prolific on uh, on social media. So uh, so if people want to to follow you um, on social media or connect, how can they do so? Yeah, uh, I get that question a lot, and and people ask me if I use Twitter. I don't, um, and it's not in Denmark, so we discard that completely. A big nation, five six million people, not on Twitter. I think actually most people are, but I'm not. On LinkedIn is the best best way to connect, and everyone's just so welcome to do that. I, I enjoy my time on there actually listening to a lot of great people. And yeah, so please do that on there. Wonderful. And we'll put a, uh, a link in the show notes. Uh, but all was left for me to say, Peter, is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Great conversation, David. It always haunts me when I speak with L&D leaders who are pushing their stakeholders to expect more from their L&D teams and are willing to break with tradition to advance their practice and achieve more which is real results. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.